Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Philosophical um, benefits as well of 
you know, really embracing all creatures as um, really just brothers and sisters as we walk this planet. And so it, it was a very interesting opportunity to work with deer medicine and mm-hmm. to rebirth the soul of the deer um, through uh, the Cherokee water song and, um, you know, bless the, the skins and really, you know, infuse them with our, our energy. And um, I actually wound up uh, cutting myself while I was uh, weaving the, the deer skin. And so, um, you know, it exacted a pound of flesh, so to speak. So, you know, I, I have a little bit of blood on the back of my, my drum. But it, it was a, a just a beautiful rebirthing experience. Very grounding, and um, we had six folks that uh, took the journey with us on our our first time out, and uh, I'm really looking forward to having another offering, um, hopefully sometime in the summer, where we can really just go out by the brook and um, birth the drums, uh, you know, in, in a beautiful traditional way. Wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool. And um, so, you know, we're, we're at that time of the year where it's really all about uncertainty, right? We've The holidays are behind us, and so all of the, the hubbub and the energy and the anticipation and the focus um, on, on the celebratory aspects of Yule and, um, and certainly Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah um, – you know, they're, they're kind of, they're in our rearview mirror, so to speak. And we're in that, that juxtaposition between, you know, spring and, um, and uh, fall where we're not quite sure yet what's happening. And so, you know, the weather has been nice enough to play its role in keeping us, you know, slightly off of our balance and not really knowing if it's, 50 degrees and the crocus are coming out or it's going to be 8 degrees and um, everything's going to be frozen over. Uh, So I thought we could talk tonight really about the power of this, the power of uncertainty and how we could really utilize it as a very positive driving force in our lives. If That sounds awesome. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're moving into in bulk. So February um, 2nd is um, in bulk, which is the, the celebration of the goddess Breed, who was um, Christianized into St. Bridget. And, you know, Breed is known for, you know, the four-armed cross um, of balance of all of the representing balance of the elements and also her cauldron. So Breed's cauldron was the the cauldron of rebirth, and this time of year we fill that cauldron with milk um, and we celebrate, you know, the quickening of Gaia, our mother, and um, the the promise of rebirth for all of us um, if we, you know, if we dare, if we trust our faith and we move through the natural rhythm of the seasons uh, that, you know, we too will be reborn in the spring. So 
in bulk, we're going to actually be celebrating in bulk this Saturday, uh, which is February 2nd. And uh, we will have an in bulk circle, a, a tradition, uh, traditional Celtic witches circle uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the shop. Sorry about that. We had a major disconnect, and now I have echoes. Hold on a second. Uh, okay. Hi, Linda. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Fantastic. Okay, we're 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 back on. Okay. Well, I was chatting away. Um, well, well, good. I'm I'm glad that that happened. Here, the board started. <laughs> so I had to connect first by phone and then get back on the board. And um, anyway, uh, enough of that. Uh, what I caught from that sounds incredibly awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every, I mean every every year every we try year and we move try. Um, in bulk into a, a different um, aspect of the holiday, and so you know we've made the um, four armed crosses, you know, and we've honored Breed in that way. And this year we're really going to be focusing on the power of that cauldron of rebirth because all around us it's just, I mean, everybody I talk to is feeling that shift that that imbalance, that, you know, kind of that, that place where we are in mid-step and we've, we've surrendered what we knew and we're not quite there yet into, you know, what we're becoming. And so we're, we're kind of dangling with that foot in midair and, and not quite steady. So I think that, you know, it's important for us to really um, – immerse ourselves in this moment and ask ourselves, you know, what is the message here? You know, what is this all about? For each one of us, it's a very different journey. Oh, very true. It's all, you know, but it's all coming from that same place, from that place of not knowing what's next. You know, the, the, um, you know, the uncertainty of, becoming versus not becoming. So are you experiencing that too, Hercules? Oh, of course. I'm, I'm at a point where I need to let go of a lot of uh, the past and all sorts of uh, visions of the future and shadows of the future have entered my uh, consciousness and my life. Uh, don't know how things will ultimately and eventually shape up. Uh, but I do know it involves a letting go, a embracing the unknown, a moving a direction in the brightest lights that I can see, and then seeing what happens. Seeing what happens. And uh, that's what makes the journey exciting uh, many times. Uh, it, it is that uncertainty, uh, the not knowing. Uh, but uh, life uh, consists of a lot of uncertainty and uh, uh, I, I'm finding that a lot of the things that we take for granted, a lot of the security that we take for granted is illusory. Well, and, and I think, you know, we're so, there are so many folks, Hercules, that they, they spend their entire lives creating this cocoon, which, as you said, is really just an illusion. And there are those that will sacrifice every opportunity for newness and growth 
out of that fear-based mentality, and they right. will allow themselves to, to kind of remain in that chrysalis phase of the cocoon um, because it's what they know. Even if it's not satisfying, even if it's not fulfilling, you know, it's still familiar. And I think, you know, for most of us, it's a struggle to surrender the familiar, even if it's no longer serving us. That, that's very true. And actually, uh, when I met with uh, Jerry Hosek the other day, and Jerry is the publisher of uh, Natural Awakenings uh, magazine here in northern uh, New Jersey, um, this mm-hmm. was the topic of our discussion. Uh, you know, this, uh, you know, basically um, the realization that uh, a lot of what we uh, imagine to be our control is actually illusory and that we have a lot less control than we think we have. It doesn't mean you should, you know, mm-hmm. like just drift. Uh, of course, you have to navigate uh, through life, but it is a navigation. And uh, many times uh, you find that, uh, um, you know, what's been motivating you. Um, is fear rather than anything else. Uh, I worked uh, for many years at Elmhurst Hospital in uh, various uh, um, psychiatric units. And uh, I remember uh, one particular gentleman, uh, he'd been married for very many years, let's say 30 years. I don't remember the exact number. And he had been building bridges uh, throughout the world, like especially in the Middle East, uh, to make um, you know money, and uh, he was gone from home for a long period of time. And uh, what kept him sustained is this uh, dream that when he, they earn a certain amount of money, he and his wife are going to retire and they're going to travel and do all these things. So uh, for decades, uh, this dream fueled him. And then when they finally had that amount of money, um, he and his wife uh, discovered that they had very little in common, uh, because he was gone for much of the year, so they became different uh, people, uh, and uh, she had asked him for a divorce. So yeah. he became su- suicidal, and he wound up in the psychiatric unit. And that was when I first had to confront that, Yeah, you know, look at it in my own life, you know. Uh, sure. Um, and it, it was scary, and, and it was frightening. And here was somebody who had never even uh, thought he'd be in a psychiatric hospital on suicide watch, uh, but what happens when you spend your entire life, you know, with, with something that all of a sudden, you know, you get there and the, the rug is pulled right under you? What do you, ha- what do you have left? You know, what, what do you have? Uh, and then you realize that what's been sustaining you and motivating you and taking you away from all the other things that you wanted to do was this fantasy. And, and it was a fantasy. And, and there's, some, there's some power in that because at some point, um, that sustains us, and it's mm-hmm. good for us, and it's healthy. The challenge here is knowing when to release it. So, yes. I mean, everything, you know, everything in moderation, right? So when, we, when we're first in a new situation, it's, it's not necessarily an unhealthy or unreasonable thing to, to hold on to that, that grain of stability that that's behind us and say, you know, it's going to be so good when, you know, spring break comes and I get to go home or Thanksgiving, you know, when we look at ourselves as as freshmen in college, you know, it's those, it's those promises that 
um, the familiar is right around the corner and that we can get there um, that sustains us during that, that awkward transition, you know, where we're, we're not quite who we need to be yet and we're frightened a little bit. So it, it's not a bad thing, and you know, in his case, really to, to utilize that as what he holds on to. I mean, certainly the antithesis of that was Tom Hanks, um, you know, in the movie, right, where he's shipwrecked mm-hmm. and, he, you know, it's him and the deflated um, basketball named, uh, was it Spalding or something, and, uh, and the package from Federal Express that, you know, ultimately becomes the, the key and the portal to his next transition in his life. But, you know, I mean, anything taken to extremes, I mean, here he was, and the only thing he had to hold on to were the, the memories of, you know, what his life was back home. And it, it allowed him to continue to just continue to visualize himself as once again becoming a part of that. But it's a very subtle shift for us to to recognize when that illusion, when that fantasy, when that tape loop that we're playing back in our head is no longer sustaining us the way it used to. Right. You know, and that's that's not an easy thing for people to do because you know we're not a we're not a species that likes to let go of things. So no, we're um, not. You know, it's hard for us. Yeah, it's very hard. And a lot of times, but letting go, you have to do it. Like uh, I'm still into fitness, and I like lift, lifting weights and doing stuff like that. But uh, I'm in my 60th year, and I can't do a lot of the things that I used to do. Uh, once upon a time, and uh, um, I'm having to face the fact that, yeah, yeah I still represent fitness, I still uh, promote fitness, uh, I dedicate a lot of t- my time to fitness, but um, I'm not who I was, you know, in that uh, regard, like a decade ago, or two decades ago, or even five years ago, that uh, I'm getting older, my body's changing, and uh, there are certain things uh, I can't do. So I have to let go of that and redefine it and find something that I can do (laughs) and focus on that. And it it hasn't been an easy process because, as you say, we don't like letting go. You know, we we have these things and they generate uh, meaning and certain evoke certain feelings. uh, And it's difficult to recognize that they no longer serve you uh, and you have to just let them go. Well, and and letting them go with the trust that the universe abhors the vacuum. Right. So there will always be something that replaces the thing that you're letting go of. And I, I you know, as human beings, unfortunately, we've, we've kind of grown accustomed to guarantees. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we want to, we want some kind of a guarantee. We want to be able to see far enough ahead to suggest that this thing that's coming towards us is something that's going to be pleasant or safe or fulfilling. And, you know, sometimes that's not going to happen. I mean, sometimes you have to sit in the hollow. Sometimes you have to Mm -hmm. sit in the hunger um, to really be able to define 
what it is that you're looking for in the first place. Right. Um, I remember, you know, some years back, I took a huge leap of faith in my life and um, took a job that was requiring me to pack up and move away from everything and everyone that I knew. Um, all of my friends, all of my social activities, you know, my whole niche was, um, you know, really going to be now an hour away. And um, I was just going to get up and, you know, and and make this move. And I wasn't certain at the time um, whether or not my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, willing to make that move with me either because, you know, he had a job and he had a life that was also down where we had been, um, you know, sharing space. And so, you know, when push came to shove, the realization was that I was truly um, going to be a pioneer woman and and I was going to be making this move um, on my own. And um, about three weeks, or two weeks before the move. Now, mind you, I had given my notice at work. Um, I had given up my lease on my apartment. And about two weeks before my actual move, um, the place that I was supposed to be moving to fell through. Mm. And so now, you know, so now here I am, and I am a, I am a creature of... Um, consistency. I like patterns. I like, you know, I like everything to be in its place. And so now here I really was in the middle of the step with nowhere to go. And, um, you know, I called the, um, my new boss and I just threw it out there and I said, listen, I, you know, I can't really find a, a place to live up there. So I'm really struggling with what to do here. And, um, you know, he said, well, you know, it just so happens my parents have an apartment above their garage that's vacant. And so, you oh, know, wow. I'm sure that we can probably, like, you know, work something out with that. And if I hadn't taken the leap, if I had just caved in on myself and said, you know what, this isn't meant to be, um, I never would have been able to stretch into this uncomfortable place and ultimately grow. Um and so I encourage people to really do that and, you know, take these next few weeks and really move into that hollow and allow yourself to experience it. Don't be so quick to stuff the next thing um, into your agenda, you know. Don't be so quick to fill your belly, to fill your mind, to fill your soul Allow there to be a bit of an echo and see where that takes you. I mean, believe that ultimately you have control over this experiment and at any time you can just turn around and do what you were going to do anyway. You know, it's not all going away. Um, But take an opportunity to feel hungry emotionally, spiritually, physically, and give yourself that, that, um, that challenge to live in an in an uncertain environment for a little bit and and see where it takes you. 
very wise uh, advice, and uh, I like the metaphor of uh, allowing yourself to feel hungry, to stop filling yourself, and stop being sated and and comfortable, but to to basically allow yourself to to be pulled in a, a new uh, direction. Hmm. Well, you know, I think that, and it's it's funny because I don't, you know, with with my belief system, I don't know that there is a quote unquote new direction. I I believe that there's a direction that's calling to you from a very ancient place in your soul, and uh-huh. what gets in the what gets in the way for us a lot of times is you know, the human mantle that we're living in and all of the constructs that come around that, that, you know, that allow us to rationally rethink that, you know, that inner voice, that inner inkling. And so in order to reconnect with that voice, in order to reconnect with that that inner um, ancient wisdom, I think we really do have to sit in that in that silent place of wanting, for a while um, and you know and I'm not an aesthetic and I'm not encouraging you to you know go out into the woods and you know a t-shirt and bare feet and you know carrying no food with you you know it's not about punishing yourself it's not about suffering through um, a destitution or a deprivation it's about finding that equalization finding that that balance that flow and a lot of times we're so busy anticipating that we're going to be hungry right that we overfeed ourselves physically emotionally Mm -hmm. spiritually financially because you know we're so good at anticipating this stuff so you know i'm going to i'm going to eat my fill now i'm going to you know I'm going to, and I, I'm certainly guilty of this myself, you know, if I find a pair of pants or something that fits me, well, I'll buy three pairs and not one. Uh-huh. I might not be able, I might not be able to find these things again when I want them. So and that is my, often the, the case, cha- though. I find that as I look for things, sometimes I'm it's like, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Then I waited too long. <laughs> And uh, what it was I was looking for is ridiculously expensive now or or not available anymore. Uh, So, but yeah, I anticipate also, and I have a whole bunch of things that I I keep an eye out for, uh, for when they get within a certain price range or, you know, within a certain range of availability, I'll I'll move in that direction, but I'll be aware that they're there. Uh, uh, But you're right. That is uncertain (laughs) a thing. Well, and, and we do that with with life experiences, too. You know, I, mm-hmm. and I totally get that whole thing. You know, like, you know, I'm watching something materialistically, and if it goes on sale, of course I'm going to find a way to get it, you know, the right. cheapest way I can get it. But it's a pattern that we fall into that we, we do the same thing with our experiences, with our life, and with our relationships. And so, you know, unfortunately... You, you know, sometimes you're so quick to fill the void that you fill the void with something that maybe you're settling for. Maybe that's right. not the ideal career, the career that you really wanted, you know, to be in or the event that you really wanted to go to. But the idea of, you know, sitting home with yourself and not going somewhere was, you know, far more frightening to you than, 
you know, going someplace that you really didn't want to go to with people that you really didn't want to go with because at least then you weren't alone. So it's those kinds of um, experiences that I'm, I'm, you know, really talking about that, you know, we overfill based on that anticipation that we might not ever get this again or see it again. Um, But if you allow yourself to really, you know, take that chance and sit in the stillness of what if and really allow yourself to get to the point where, you know, you're feeling that, you know, you're feeling it in, in your, you know, deep in your, in your belly, in your soul, um, because that's when the voice is really going to come in um, and you're going to be able to hear it again. You can't hear it over all that crunching, you know what I mean? That's correct, yes. Um, I, I, I think I shared this, uh, um, I probably have many times, but anyway, I'll share it again. Uh, when I worked uh, in uh, human services, I often worked with people who were dying. And uh, this is everything from uh, being a super te- supervisor in like a home health agency to uh, working in ICUs and, um, you know, terminal units and hospitals and so forth. So I was exposed uh, from a young age to uh, a lot of people who were in a bed and they weren't getting out of that bed and they knew that they weren't getting out of that bed. And uh, I found that when someone's in that situation, if they're lucid enough, uh, the best things in the world are good memories because uh, they go over them and they share them. And those are like the best currency. That's the best treasure you can have. And at least one person, even if that person is a paid staff person who cares enough that you still exist and are on that bed to come talk to you occasionally. And uh-huh. that the worst thing in the world is regrets. And they, they're usually not like major regrets. It's like I never told that person how I felt about them. I had an opportunity to do this. I've always wanted to do that, but, you know, I was afraid to do it. It was that type of thing. So I kept hearing this out of many mouths uh, in many, very many types of settings over many years. And uh, what it led to is my living my life a certain way. You know, in that, uh, you know, it doesn't work 100% of the time, but I would say most of the time uh, I express, you know, what I want to express. I say what I want to say to who I want to say it. Um, and I attempt to do things that, you know, I really want to do, even if they seem uh, impossible. And a lot of times uh, attaining those things um, is not what you thought it was going to be, but then you can let go of it. And you don't have to have it, you know, like, inside of you anymore. Like, um, some of the greatest things that have happened are, like, little things that didn't really change my life significantly in an outer way, but in an inner way they, they did. Like, uh, for instance, um, uh, making a movie. I made a movie, you know, um, and what inspired me was uh, uh, Lloyd from Lloyd Kaufman from Troma, because uh, he made some uh, movies that were pretty atrocious, <laughs> But he made movies. So that, that encouraged me to make a movie. And I made a movie. And uh, Lloyd Kaufman actually helped me air my movie at a film festival. And uh, some of his uh, characters from his movies were in part of my movie. Um, so um, that was like a dream come true. And uh, I didn't continue making movies. Although now I'm getting the yen again. But the very fact that I was able to personally say thank you to somebody who inspired me or helped me realize something and then actually do it, and, you know, it's out of my system kind of, 
And right, uh, right. And even if I don't do it again, at least I did it once, you know, and that's okay. Right, right. But it's also, I mean, that is uh, that is a huge leap of faith, okay? When you make something for public consumption, like a movie, like um, you know, a book, like a like a radio show, you know, it really does take a, a, a phenomenal leap of faith because you're exposing yourself in mm-hmm. all of your human frailty. Um, for all the world to see, and it's that's not easy for us to do, um, but it certainly represents, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, you know, which is that taking uncertainty and using it as rocket fuel instead uh-huh. of, um, you know, shielding, because in a situation like that, you don't know, you don't know what it's going to turn out like, you don't know if your mentor is going to be pleased. Um, mm-hmm. But you move through the you move through the process because there's value, like you said, there is value in moving through the process, even if it's not something that you would ever do again in your life. You know, the fact that you gave yourself permission to surrender disbelief and just move through this process wherever it was going to land you, um, it, that's gigantic. You know, that's the kind of, um, you know, of uh, energy that allows you to stay connected to that inner voice, you know, being um, in the world but not of the world. You know, you're not getting strapped down with all of those those freaky thoughts that kind of prevent us from, from ever moving forward. Like, oh, my God, right. I'm going to make a movie with this guy. He's my mentor. I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself. You know, and even if you're having those feelings and experiences, the fact that you're still able to kind of transcend them and move forward, is that's a very powerful um, opportunity for you. Uh, yes, it was. And, and finding out that you can strive toward things that you might consider impossible and actually find a way to do them, uh, th- that's like a, a realization. Um, more recently, um, I was inspired by some of my guests on my shows, actually, to, to publish my writings. And you've made several statements, uh, too, that contributed uh, to that uh, uh, over the time we've known each other. So um, I decided, okay, you know, so first I started publishing for uh, e-zines beyond those that I myself was publishing. Uh, and uh, I was published uh, fairly extensively for a while in uh, um, three uh, e-zines. Uh, and then I became involved in uh, contributing writing to anthologies. And uh, I've been publishing eight anthologies so far in the past year or so. And the thing about the anthologies is these anthologies are people that I grew up admiring and wanting to mm-hmm. be like them. Mm-hmm. So here I was, mm-hmm. you know, writing stuff that was put in anthologies with their names on it, too. Uh, and I got to know a lot of them. So like uh, Tim Beckley, Tim Schwartz, Brad Steiger, you know, these are names I grew up with. You know, I read the books. I, I read the anthology books they were writing, you know, with the luridly titled uh, <laughs> covers and stuff like that, you know, but inside all uh, metaphysical uh, psychic exploration and theorizing type of stuff. And here I am, I'm in there with them in those uh, books and, uh, um, it, it, it's incredibly awesome, and it's like a dream come true. 
And again, it just reinforces that we don't have to settle for what other people tell us, you know, we can have or do. You know, if we have dreams, you know, we can strive for them and we can make them happen. And it also, you know, it also um, really clarifies the fact that in those dreams, in that willingness to challenge yourself, we're all equal. So, you know, here you are and you're in the presence of these dignitaries in this field, right? You're, You're in the the presence of of what we call today the content experts, okay? And Mm -hmm. you're holding your own. You're holding your own because there is no difference between you and them. The only difference is timing. You know what I'm saying? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we learn that about ourselves every time we transcend an opportunity like this. And wherever we land, we learn about the fact that, you know what, we're not that different after all. Right. We are pretty much the same. And, and if we see ourselves in that shared vision, then that fuels us to keep going forward. I mean, I remember when, you know, you asked me the first time to just be a guest on one of your mm-hmm. shows, and I was like, you know, I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be great. You know, this is going to be exciting because being a guest on one of your shows, you know, you basically just take it in hand and, and you move through the experience. And then when you said, you know, well, why don't you host the show? And I thought, oh, well, um, hmm, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do that. You know, who's going to be Hercules if I'm, you know, supposed to be the host? And then by moving through that experience, you know, I learned a lot of things about myself, and I think that that's where the value of this is. And, and you never get there if you don't allow yourself to experience uncertainty, if you don't right. allow yourself to, to kind of throw it out there and say, you know what, whatever's going to happen, something's going to happen. Yes. And that's and that's really how we grow and that's how we move forward. You know, very, very true. And you're an awesome host, by the way, you know, I, I enjoy listening to your shows when I'm in the background engineering. You're, you're an awesome host. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, um, you know, I, I tend to fly by the seat of my pants a lot more than, than you do. So, you know, that kind of, that, runs into some challenges for me when it comes to arranging guests because I'm usually like, you know, I'm usually asking people way, way too close to the actual event. And so I'm learning from you because this is something that I really want to try and, and um, incorporate. And, and it's that planning aspect, you know. Um, we were out celebrating um, – one of the ladies uh, of the fellowship, Mo, it was her birthday. Happy and birthday. So her hu- yeah, and so her husband uh, threw a surprise party for her um, and invited the dragon uh, to Riviera Maya last night to celebrate her at um, 5 o'clock. And so, you know, we were all just kind of sitting around and, and having this wonderful time and you know, and so we were talking a little bit about in bulk coming, you know, and so mm-hmm. uh, one of the other folks said, you know, uh, well, what are we doing? You know, 
um, meditation is Thursday night and in bulk is Saturday. And I'm like, yeah, how about that? You know, well, what are we doing? Well, um, as soon as the universe tells me, I guess I'll tell you because, <laughs> you know, that's really and, – and it works well with some things, but it, it doesn't work well with planning guests for the show. So I do have to take a page out of your – your playbook and, and start to like look at that a little bit more in a, in a structured fashion. Um, but I do enjoy, you know, our conversations because I always learn a little something. Me know. too. And uh, I, I, I fly by my, the seat of my pants a lot. Uh, also uh, I've been attempting a lot of things that I normally wouldn't have ever attempted uh, uh, lately, including uh, running for office. And <laughs> so, yes, so, I was not chosen by the Democratic Party to be their candidate, but that's okay. I haven't given up. I, I decided to run, so I'm going to run. Uh, and uh, um, d- doing a lot of things that I never thought I would do. But when I was meeting with Jerry Hosek, we talked about that too. It's like we both had a feeling that we would be doing something, but we couldn't figure out what it was. So we just started sharing visions and pieces of random information that was flooding into our brains and there's something there but we have no idea what it is yet so we decided just it'll come in its time we know it's there we're alerted uh-huh. so it'll come when it comes well you're, you're, well you're in the galaxy at least you know so the, yeah. the, the nebula the nebula is forming and it's just a matter of staying put long enough to see it you know it's that mm. whole watched pot that whole watched pot theory for us and and unfortunately, we live in such an instant gratification world right now with our technology being as advanced as it is that it's really taking away our um, our ability to kind of, quote, unquote, sit tight and, you know, see what, what grows. Um, so I'm glad that you're still able to do that on some level. And I'm glad that you're able to do it as well. You had uh, people that you admired uh, uh, on your spiritual path on your show recently, a number and individually. And I started working mm. with people I never thought I'd work with, uh, folks from the old uh, Magical Child and the, the Warlock Shop, which was like the occult thing in New York, you know, for for the time I was growing up. So the, uh, although I never, except for Herman Slater, who I got to know fairly well uh, before he passed on, um, the, the other folks there, I never really got a chance uh, to know them. I met them here and there, uh, but now I've had them on the show, and you know we're thinking of things to do together. And that to me is like, oh wow, you know, it's like I never yeah. imagined you know I'd be doing that, but that's a really cool thing to do. So yeah, definitely I want to do it. And you know what? It, it just it starts with with one idea, you know, one thought, one idea. I mean, I have been very lucky this year. I have interviewed um, Gypsy Ravitch of uh, yes. New Aeon and uh, um, Oberon Zell, who is, you know, you really have to tap into his Facebook page. He's, he's on an amazing walkabout right now and um, just taking in all kinds of experiences. Um, and Orion Foxwood, who is an amazing um, conjurer, in his own right, and I, I really need to reach back out with him uh, and get him to come on the show again because um, I learn so much from him every time we do a workshop um, up in, in Salem. So it would be good to reconnect with him. And yeah, so when you you know when you realize that you're you know you're actually giving yourself permission to break through these these 
barriers, these barricades, and we put them up ourselves. You know, yes, they're, we do. They're, they're wrought out of our own sense of self, um, you know, our sense of um, uh, deserving, you know, our sense of self-esteem. And once we realize that, you know, you just have to find one loose thread in that and you can just pull that whole illusion apart. It really just takes that one challenge um, to to kind of reconnect and and move forward and feel strong. And uh, you know, I I used to do some bodybuilding myself, and before my kids came, I was pretty much a gym rat, and you know, I was unstoppable. And uh, you know, I was lifting and um, doing steps and aerobics and just a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. And, you know, to your point, I mean, I'm at a point now in my life where, you know, my body just doesn't um, take too kindly to me doing all that stuff anymore. So, you know, what used to, what I used to scoff at, which really was yoga, you know, um, the gentler art of uh, movement um, uh-huh. has now become a main, you know, a mainstay in my life where, um, you know, I see the power and the wisdom of, you know, finding patience in the pose. And it's not necessarily about, you know, knuckling down and enduring this, this feat of strength. It's about stepping into the comfort level of your own body in that particular moment and honoring it and doing what feeds it for that moment without necessarily having to define that as the way you will always do something. Mm-hmm. And so you learn some very powerful lessons, you know, on your yoga mat about staying in the moment and, you know, being patient and being fluid at the same time. Um, and you can take those into the rest of your life. I mean, to your point, you know, you weren't picked this time by the committee, but now they know who you are. They know that you're mm-hmm. out there, and now you're, you know, you're a force of reckoning. So the more that you do, um, the more it reinforces the fact that you're not going anywhere, um, and it allows right. the folks around you that maybe, you know, wouldn't have given you a second glance to now really be able to pay attention and to watch you a little bit more and you know so that's really what it's all about you know finding patience to be able to say you know I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing and I'm going to move forward and it's it's incremental and it might be slow going but I know that I'm making progress every time somebody new makes eye contact with me every time somebody new Um, engages me in a conversation that, you know, a week ago or a month ago or a year ago wouldn't have happened. Um, Right. And so you celebrate, celebrate those small successes because, you know, you're a winner in every election um, by virtue of the fact that you put yourself out there. And I think that's an important message. And I, I think a lot of folks that are, um, you know, in office today need to really, I think, pay attention to that. A little bit more. Thank you yeah. for your kind words and your encouragement. Uh, I definitely take them to heart. 
And uh, you've helped me fulfill uh, another lifelong uh, dream, which is bringing back uh, uh, theurgy and theosophy and uh, mythic spirituality in a new way. Uh, And that took root and uh, sprouted in the Amber Dragon. Uh, And now that's gotten me all sorts of uh, um, attention and recognition. Uh, I've had some of the luminaries of theurgy on our show. We've had uh, panel discussions together. Um, and uh, uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of uh, people, and like you said, now I'm, you know, now that that barrier is removed in my head, I'm interacting on a whole new level, and uh, I actually intend on expanding uh, what we're doing at the Dragon, and uh, uh, I was thinking of uh, advertising even, so that's that's a discussion we'll have at another time, uh, but uh, um, yeah, I, I feel that it's taken root at the Dragon, and now it's time for it to uh, do more than sprout. It's time to grow and to flower at the dragon. So uh, uh, it's allowed my mind to have even grander dreams than the dreams I held before, and I'm grateful for that. Well, I think it's it's very exciting, and, and we really have to credit the, the you know, the open-minded, like-minded folks that, that find their way there because, it's, yes. you know, as, awesome. you, as you know, it's, it's quite out of the way, and it's not on the beaten path in any way, shape, or form. And I find that the people that find their way there and keep coming back, um, you know, I learn so much from them, and I gain so much from them. I mean, we had such a powerful group on Saturday um, of, of the folks that were, um, you know, willing to talk about uncertainty, you know, uh, build your own drum and mm-hmm. work with dear medicine and, you know, ask permission, uh, you know, to be able to rebirth yourself through um, the rebirthing of the deer. And, you know, time and time again, people say the same thing. I don't know why I'm here, but something keeps bringing me back here. And Mm -hmm. eventually everybody, you know, everybody finds their niche. And uh, I'm just happy that the dragon seems to be, you know, a portal for, for that kind of thing to evolve. It's, very exciting for me. I mean, we have a, you know, a beautiful young craftswoman. Uh, her name is um, Brittany, and she owns Enchanted Apple Designs, and oh, wow. she makes the most amazing uh, jewelry pieces. And you've seen them in the shop, and I, I wear quite a few of them. And you know, I remember when she first walked into the shop a couple of years ago, and she was. You know, she was making these very rudimentary tree of life pendants with the chipstone necklace and the, you know, the wire wrapping. And, uh, you know, she was just very shy and very quiet and, you know, thinking very small. And um, she has blossomed into such a phenomenal artist that her stuff doesn't even stay on, um, you know, the Etsy very long. I mean, as soon as you see her post something, you just have to chime in and let her know that you're interested because um, they her pieces just disappear. Um, so, you know, again, I, um, if you don't follow her already, check her out on Instagram and on Facebook as Enchanted Apple Designs. Uh, you won't be disappointed. But, you know, another, you know, another proof that you step into that hunger of uh, uncertainty and uh, you bang around in there for a little while and you, you know, 
uh, you grow and you morph and you become amazing. So I'm really glad that we have so many talented people around us that uh, keep showing us, you know, how we can move forward. Yes. I found Enchanted Apple Design. I'll post the link uh, on the thread for the show. Great, great. I mean, she's just amazing. And uh, she'll be uh, with me, our Midland Park show. Um, you know, we're part of the North Jersey Mineralogical Society. And, nice. um, you know, actually, uh, the Druid and I are leaving on February 9th, and we are heading out to the Tucson show. And I'm so very excited for the opportunity. Um, our dear friends, um, Tom uh, Caggiano and his wife, Lee, um, they host us. And uh, Tom owns Lost World Fossils which is another um, just absolutely amazing um, site to go on. And he specializes in dinosaur bone, petrified wood, and fossils. He's been a guest on the show as well. And uh, so we will be journeying west to um, support him in his uh, first um, uh, booth at the Tucson show. So if you're heading out that way, Please stop in and find us. Uh, his his show opens on February 14th through the 18th, and uh, we'll be out there tooling around in Tucson from the 9th. So if you're interested in anything uh, spectacular and special, you can reach out to me and let me know what you're looking for, and I will personal shop for you um, if you tell me, you know, uh, price range and expectations. And what I normally do is I send pictures back if I find a treasure for you and, um, you know, once you commit to the piece, then I'll, I will purchase it for you. But, uh, we're very, very excited to go. It's our first time, um, in Tucson at the rock show. So, um, I'm really, uh, eager to see what's waiting for me. I know that there's something very special, um, that is waiting for me out there and, uh, I just can't wait to meet it. And then, um, you know, then it's, uh, show season here on the East Coast, and we'll be moving into, um, we're doing a show in the Lafayette uh, uh, Village. It's called The Shops at Lafayette now. We're going to be doing the Wizard and Witch um, show on April 27th. That's a Saturday. And uh, uh-huh. we'll be in Midland Park. We'll be in Midland Park the last weekend of March. Uh, that's an amazing show for anybody who's starting out and just wants to come and see some really um, top-notch vendors, um, great, great folks to, to work with. Um, we'll be out there on the Saturday and the Sunday of the 30th and the 31st of March. Uh, and then the following week is Edison. Wow. So we'll all be down at, yeah, we'll be down at the convention center. It's, it's just so exciting, you know. I mean, the energy that this stuff brings into uh, the universe is, is profound. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, everyone between uh, Tucson and Midland Park and um, Edison. We always uh, see a lot of folks there, and I'm really looking forward to going back into the season. Um, so stop by um, our booth at any time. We are... Um, the Amber Dragon in Midland Park, and we are Lost World Fossils in Tucson and um, down in Edison. So 
Good times are coming. Yes, they are. I put a link to Lost World Fossils as well. And then um, as we progress uh, towards uh, February, March, we'll put uh, the other places uh, up, you know, uh, as well. Great. Fantastic. And our hour is over <laughs> already. <laughs> Thank you so much, Linda. I, I again, I treasured these opportunities uh, to uh, um, speak with you, and uh, I don't see them as uh, problems in scheduling. I see them as gifts. So uh, thank you for the gift, and uh, I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. I'll be at the Dragon on February 9th. Uh, will you be there yes, that you will. day? Or? Okay, awesome. Um, so we are then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're flying to Tucson. You will be hosted by the fellowship ladies that day. Very awesome. Okay. I'm, so blessed be to you that. and Athena. Okay. We'll talk again. Okay. Blessed be to you right. and the Druid. And uh, we'll be back after this brief uh, song. We're going to listen to Bone Pro's Orchestra's Evolve. And then we will be starting a new segment with Bill Waitman.
intelligence and robotics. Uh, let me share a little bit about uh, the history of this uh, segment. Um, I have been concerned about this issue for many years, and I've included it in many of my workshops and uh, even my role-playing games and my uh, metaphysical writings. And uh, I found out that one of my mythic mentors from Workforce, uh, Bill Waitman, who is no stranger to our podcast, uh, is also very much focused on this and has uh, done a lot of writing and spreading the word. And just like we talked about the possibility of this radio show years ago and it finally came to happen, uh, about a year or so ago we started discussing this. And although we've touched upon it a little in the past, Today it is here, and it will be a continuing uh, part of our voyage. So without further ado, welcome Bill Waitman. Good evening. Uh, We're going to have a lot of fun for the next hour. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Fun is always good. So we had a mystery happen. You sent me some material to read. I looked at some of it. I was going to read it this weekend, and then you informed me that it was taken down. It was. It disappeared from my uh, emails. I don't understand. I would get this uh, wow. strange message. Uh, I, maybe I wasn't supposed to do it. I didn't think I went into deep territory. Uh, I mean, under uh, looking at this uh, process of artificial intelligence, I uh, became a mem- member of something called the Naval uh, uh, Investment or something. Uh, it's a magazine, and I got involved with the Air Force magazine, which you know wow. anybody can read. But uh, some of this stuff uh, came out of uh, colleges and institutes and uh, whatnot, and it disappeared. Uh, I mean, about 20 emails. You know, some of them were papers, long papers. Uh, I didn't see anything intrinsically uh, revealing. I mean, uh, uh-huh. this is a field that largely goes back, you know, uh, we're emulating a lot of things that happened in earlier times. Uh, but, uh, you know, artificial intelligence really uh, started, uh, officially was named Artificial Intelligence in 1956. At least I got that there. I can't tell you who did it, but um, we're going through a lot of processes with artificial intelligence. Uh, so it's, um, we're going to have a look tonight as much as we mm-hmm. can and, and, uh, and look at some issues that come out of it. Um, I want to give you a definition, first of all, and this actually comes from Bangalore, India, which is a big uh, uh, 
level of intelligence in India for uh, artificial intelligence and other processes. Uh-huh. What is artificial intelligence? Well, it is it's the study and creation of artificial systems that can comprehend, reason, and act. The primary aim of artificial intelligence is to produce intelligent systems which should be augmented by thinking, making decisions, solving problems, more importantly, by learning. Uh, AI is an uh, interdisciplinary field that requires knowledge of mathematics, allegrams, algorithms, I can't say that, linguistics, psychology, biology, philosophy, and neuroscience, and on and on. Um, now, there are two other types of uh, artificial intelligence. Here it call, talks about weak artificial intelligence and strong, strong artificial intelligence. I'm going to rename them to the names that Americans use, machine learning uh, okay. and, uh, and deep learning, which is the current form. Now, artificial intelligence uh, ran from, in its heyday, ran from 1950 to 1980s. Then along came machine learning. And uh, basically what machine learning is, is um, it, it, it doesn't create human-level intelligent machines, but it provides techniques that can make human effort go further. And strong um, artificial intelligence or deep learning is what goes into robotics and uh, some of our uh, armed uh, activities in the military in our country, in China, uh, and across the world. Uh, I don't know if that makes any uh, any any uh, any uh, any sense, but it's really a progression of artificial. And it's real. You know that it's really gone far. I want to go back one step. Although we we talk about artificial intelligence in 1956, a guy named Arthur Samuel, who was with IBM, uh, he created the first type program, which was simply uh, playing checkers with a computer. And as yes. you go on. Uh, and, and years later, uh, somebody followed up with Gary Kasparov, the uh, uh, chess champion. But he was able to beat the system. But then they created a new system where the system learned from itself. And it could beat anybody. <laughs> you know, even Gary, who, who wow. was from Russia and actually for office in, in Russia. Um, we, we, we're, let me just get back a little bit here. Um, okay. I want to look at uh, some issues. Uh, one thing that came in the news today, uh, which was the uh, issue with the uh, computer phone company, Huawei. Am I saying that right? Uh, I don't know if you're they've saying been right, doing but it... a lot of stealing. They've been, it's a Chinese company that's been doing a lot of stealing uh, and uh, lots of behind-the-scenes moves on our companies. And this has been a big problem with uh, with China and other countries in the world because there is stealing and, and uh, systems. Uh, and a big issue with artificial intelligence and, and, and ideal learning and the others is you take a company like Marriott Hotel System. 500 million people had their identity uh, exposed by hackers of their systems, you know, around the world. So these are some of the problems that are arising. And on, on a, uh, you know, the main issues today um, – with, when we look at it, uh, some of the misuses of uh, artificial intelligence is the creation of what we call digital unfreedom. And that's What's a, that? a growing sense. That they, well, that's a sense that the Democrats worldwide are in a race against time to prevent cyberspace 
we're becoming an arena for our surveillance, control, and manipulation. This is something that happened in the election. Uh, yeah. Where a, a people <laughs> offshore really kind of manipulated ourselves. But there's a worry that this, the cat's out of the bag and this can happen more and more. Uh, there's been a lot of serious looks at companies like, um, uh, like Facebook by the government. Uh, some of the things that have been coming out of that. Uh, that really is impinging on our, on our identity. Uh, Facebook, for instance, was linked to 60 other companies where it gave out data on us. That's not something we want in our, in our no. freedom. We want artificial intelligence to work. We want the other things that go along with the other components to work as well. Um, artificial intelligence is also uh, reshaping repression. It's something what basically I just said. Democracies like us more than ever must now grapple not only with the proliferation of artificial intelligence to authoritarian regimes like Russia, China, uh, you know, Macedonia played a role in the uh, – uh, with some of the hacking that occurred, and uh, we know North Korea has too. Uh, but uh, uh, we have to worry how that impacts our society more and more. And, um, you know, when the Internet first came out, it was praised for greater freedom and democracy. But we're finding right. out more and more that even our own companies are creating intrusion and, uh, and, 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 are, uh, and really creating an addictive social media for us that we come back and back. I myself must, spend, must admit that I spend hours on social media. And social media is part of the problem, too, because that is part of artificial intelligence. Yeah. I can't say the – how do you say the word? Hercules, help me with my pronunciation. Algorithms. Is that the right, correct Al- word? Algorithms, yes. Uh, they really dictate to who we talk to every day. On Facebook, I talk to – you know, I've got well over 2,000 people on Facebook – but I basically talk to the same nine to maybe 80 people a day. I mean, right. I wish people happy birthday every day and uh, of the 2,000 plus, uh, now about 2,500 plus. Uh, but um, the system seems to focus on the same people. And every now and then I'll contact somebody. Like it's, well, I see you and you tell me about a showtime or whatnot, but I'm dictated away from other people. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you see that yourself. I mean, on Messenger or something, I, I forget that I'm, I could talk to 60, 70, 80 people at a time if you get logged into one of those lines. I, my daughter, uh, my, not my daughter, my sister doesn't, uh, lo- I should say, loves uh, the current president. I don't. But I okay. contacted a, a group of people who included my cousins, who do like, do, do not like the president, and my sister was very angry at me for, for sending that. So we're, we're, we're directed in ways that we shouldn't be. We know that the election probably was most likely was impacted. People were either became disillusioned or didn't think their vote counts or uh, was somehow excluded from the, uh, from the uh, you know, from the group. Uh, we know now, too, that one country, China, it's taking off in some of it. If it's, uh, it now has uh, it's it's, cra- it's cracking down on people. China has facial recognition uh, software, right. and there's a phase of uh, artificial intelligence called analytics. It's really heavy survey laden, but it really looks at people uh, from all points, from six, seven, eight points. And analytics, analytics 
was used in businesses for, you know, surveys and uh, right. other work. Uh, I'm walking away from the phone again. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. So everything, uh, it's, it's increasing in its ability. Uh, I just want to give you some, uh, on a military thing, here's an interesting thing. Uh, the U.S. Army just is, is working on a $10 billion system called JEDI. You remember Jedi from our movies? From Star Wars, yes. From Star Wars, yes. Yes, for sure. Basically, the aim there is to weaponize artificial intelligence. And already the Pentagon and uh, three to four million uh, users are hooked into that system. And uh, basically, it's going beyond robot, uh, you know, human robots. Uh, uh, Iraq just created a weapon... uh, itself using artificial intelligence. Um, so, I, I mean, we're seeing more and more warfare. Uh, we're going to face some real problems. For your listeners, uh, if they can get it, I'm going to give you a book. I hope it's a magazine. Um, let me see it here. This is from MIT Technology Review. And uh, okay. I want I want you and your listeners to see it's currently out. It's the February issue. Uh, it's the 120th anniversary issue, and it's uh, MIT Technology Review, uh, China Rules. And it goes in that what's China's all about, genes, chips, qubits, rockets, reactors, surveillance, and SANS, the tools of a rising uh, uh, superpower. Uh, China, in many efforts, is going to pass us. And I just want to give you a few how how important some of these technologies. Well, let me, I wrote a piece uh, last week for a couple of newspapers in New Jersey and whatnot. And at the time I mentioned, uh, the piece was about, I don't want to take a warfare look, but the the piece was about China's incursion into Latin America with the Belt and the Road Initiative. The Belt and the Road Initiative is a Chinese uh, project all around the world from China to uh, to uh, Europe, following the old routes that Marco Polo uh, traveled, uh, mm-hmm. including railroads, you know, bridges and uh, ports and whatever. And it goes. There's also incursions into Africa, uh, Iran, uh, and many Eastern European countries are jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, I think it was Malaysia. Uh, you know, it's out in uh, Asia. Southeast Asia, uh, a, a region that the United States wants to keep a, a force in. But there are nine or ten countries in Latin America, including El Salvador last week, which signed an agreement with China on the Delta Road to build some uh, infrastructure like bridges and seaports. Uh, sea and the okay. problem with uh, the Delta Road project, which is also it has two or three Chinese companies in it for digital mastery, uh, which includes, includes Alibaba and tensions, is that these nine, uh, these nine or ten countries, first of all, uh, I go back, I had one, somebody that I had as a friend was uh, Theodore Sorensen. He was the press spokesman for uh, JFK. And uh, okay. he's so impressed with Khrushchev in the night. I think you're too young to remember this. But I don't know. In 1961, he, in those 13 days, he wrote a letter every day to Khrushchev. And Khrushchev wow. said that was the best letter. He, he ever read, 
but the thing was, it was about the Russian incursion into Cuba with missiles. And uh, it was finally ended with a, a deal with us to pull missiles out of Turkey, although Turkey today still has NATO mi- missiles. I don't know if that's a good point anymore. But uh, the problem is with these nine countries, nine, ten countries, we're focusing on Venezuela, where Russia, China, and Mexico were beating up on um, uh, to overthrow uh, Maduro. But it's, the, it's all of Latin America and uh, Central America. They're getting these things, and they're going to go into debt with money. And also China is building a digital economy, which is built on artificial intelligence for these countries. And remember, uh, China didn't throw Google out of uh, uh, China. It created its own system called Baidu, B-A-I-D-U. And Baidu is leading the effort to create electric cars worldwide. Millions of Yes, I heard about that. Way ahead of Way ahead on technology. Um, I, I mean, I'm looking at Itachi, and Itachi, uh, you know, it, it follows the, uh, it's a Japanese company. It follows the uh, traditional use of uh, artificial te- uh, technology, which is, you know, financial dis- divisions, robots for system conditions, uh, like robotics at nuclear plants to do some of the work that would be too dangerous for people. And they, too, have their, they've created these little vehicles, uh called EMUs, EMU-3s, which are really for people with um, disabilities, elderly, which they can ride these small. They're like little cars. They look like little uh-huh. tiny bubble cars. And they're for, uh, for seniors and for others uh, to get them home and around. Um, and they have some others called ropids, which are single vehicles also. But uh, China is pushing ahead with these electric vehicles in mass. And I don't know if we can would keep up. We're actually in a war worldwide uh, to compete. But, um, uh, you know, uh, 70% with Google thrown out of China, 70% of the searches go through this company called Baidu. And Baidu is, uh, has formed partners with a host of uh, car companies, American, uh, like Ford, uh, BMW, Daimler uh-huh. uh, for uh, Mercedes-Benz, to create driverless cars. They're not going out. There's been some problems with driverless cars, but these are going straight ahead. Um, And, uh, you know, traditionally other things, you know, I don't want to give the point that artificial intelligence is a uh, a nasty, can be only a nasty program because it does good things. It does does business uh, situations. It does a lot of good things, but we uh, we've seen that technology eliminates uh, jobs uh, rather than making our lives easier. If anything, technology has made it much more complex, and it's it's conferred countless benefits, but it's uh, reduced the amount of opportunities. Uh, we've spoken uh, recently on uh, with Dan Loa how as a teacher uh, about a about a decade ago, even in Pennsylvania. I was in one classroom teaching the um, people in that classroom, and then I was hooked up with computers to several other classrooms throughout Pennsylvania. So it got rid of like four additional teachers or five additional teachers because now with technology, they can join up the classrooms. So I had to not only look at the class, I had to look at computer screens (laughs) while I was doing my teaching. 
but it, it just shows you, and this was uh, a while ago. Now it, it must be even more uh, widespread. Um, and uh, Well, you, you know, when you look at it from a, on a total of impact, jobs will be changed at every level of our economy and every other nation's economy. Yes. You know, the predictions for 2030, and this would uh, uh, be of interest to Dan, uh, 800 million jobs will be eliminated in the world economy. Uh, and that comes from McKinsey, a uh, global institute, which does a lot of these studies. In the U.S. alone, there is an estimated loss of jobs of 39 to 73 million jobs. Wow. Uh, that would be one-third of our workforce. Uh, which is a serious amount, um, and uh, you know that uh, comes from Kinsey. Now I have one from uh, the National Bureau of uh, Economic Research. Each robot that's added to the workforce means the loss of three to five point six jobs. Each ro- yes. robot added for one thousand wages would fall twenty five percent to fifty percent uh, with the use of robots. You know, you take an inst- uh, you take, you know, uh, companies like uh, Walmart are, are going to go to the fifteen dollar wage and Amazon, but they're going to eliminate three thousand uh, cashiers, three million right. cashiers those, uh, around the world. Uh, that's going to be a thing that we're going to be seeing more robots. And you're right, even on education, doctors are going to be relying more. You know that surgery now is done with via artificial intelligence. Uh, remote, uh, yes. You know. We hear commercials on TV for uh, prostate operations and everything under the sun, and that's going to increase. Um, I don't know how we deal with the wages. Nobody figures that. Some people say that's not going to happen, but it will, it will, it will definitely happen. Uh, I'm going to give you a plant. Uh, this is JD.com in Shanghai. They have 400, four workers, a total of four workers, for, you know, maintaining robots and whatever. And uh, at this warehouse, they ship out 200,000 products a day with four workers and robots. Yeah. Um, well, look Amazon's at our supermarkets and our, in our, in our uh, retail stores as well. There's now uh, um, you can check out without uh, a cashier uh, by dealing with a, a semi-intelligent uh, checkout system with a scanner. And uh, it knows if you put things in the bags or, you know, or the side of the, the thing while you're checking them out, uh, it you know, tells you to put things in the bags. Uh, if you pick up the bag, um, you know, when you're finishing, just finishing up, it'll tell you to put the bag back, you know. The, so, um, and more and more people don't want to deal with waiting in line for a human cashier. They'll go to the checkout. Uh, but that's eliminating uh, cashier jobs right there, and it's becoming more and more common. You want to know something else? If they're not, they have maybe one person monitoring those systems. We saw that at a Walmart uh, up on Route 23 in Riverdale, Rivervale, New Jersey. Uh, uh-huh. You know, when I crew about 10 o'clock, uh, they only had one or two cashiers on the regular care. Actually, I don't see many cashiers anymore at Walmart. Right. You know, the holiday's mm-hmm. over. There's one or two at night, and then they have the bank of these, uh, uh, you know, scanners. And there was one that uh, we, we actually knew the person. Um, well, we didn't know her that well, but me and a boyfriend were over there making believe they were scanning. They didn't even turn the system on. <laughs> no, but they just pushed the stuff 
took it out, made believe they were scanning, dumped it in the bag, and walked out. And, mm. we, you know, uh, and just, we re- re- reported that to Walmart. Uh, uh-huh. They must have took six, $700 worth of uh, groceries. You know, when we we thought about it, somebody had to see that because there was a, somebody in the in the area. Uh, there right. was, you know, there were at least three Walmart. One guy was sweeping up right there, you know, with those big brooms. So I, I, I don't want to accuse anybody definitely in the store, but you have to be pretty dumb not to see that. But that, some people will find ways to beat even that system. Uh, right. And you're right, more and more. But I don't know how we replace 3 million cashiers in our economy. And so many other jobs up the whole spectrum, uh, you know, the 70, 80 million I, I saw a study about Europe and the United States, another study that said 160 million workers would lose their jobs and become part of what we call about 80 million of them will become part of the gig economy, which Dan and his organization are working on. They uh, some, you know, voluntary voluntarily decide not to work. You know, they may want to do coding, but coding as an occupation is disappearing because with ideal uh, machine learning, uh, the computers can think what the humans think. That's the right. third stage. And, that, you know, you know, after 1980s, uh, first artificial intelligence from 56 to 1980, and then 1980 to 210 with uh, machine uh, learning, which was basically, you know, the computers not making decisions, but, you know, working in conjunction with a human being. And today, where you have this kind of learning, even for uh, military uses, you know, the movies aren't that far off, there'll be Bumblebee, you know, there's the robotic movie Bumblebee and a whole host of those kind of things. But as we move into military warfare, there'll be more advances in that form of artificial intelligence. That's what the Pentagon's working on. And uh, uh, the Air Force, too. The Air Force has just produced, uh, actually Boeing, and they're going to sell 87 plan, uh, planes to the, uh, uh, to the Air Force. Self-driving um, you know, the, the gas planes, you know, when they yes. <laughs> they fly and they hook up to the plane, they've actually had the technology now to do that. Boeing has created these planes, somehow underbid everybody else, which is an amazing story. I don't know if there's kickbacks or whatever, but as a defensive tool, that's not a bad idea. Uh, you know, and, uh, um, you know, uh, what I've read about, uh, you know, the Space Force, uh, which would re- heavily rely on artificial intelligence. Uh, the first thing that the Air Force they don't want to they don't want a separate secretary for a space force. They want to keep right. it in their domain. But um, uh, I don't know if we're at that level yet or how soon we'll be at that level. But this nation and other nations are going that way. And if Air Force already has some 800 uh, bases as well as uh, the other uh, forms of our military around the world, where planes could actually be- begin doing those kinds of operations, could go into, you know, inner space or not the, the deep parts of space. But that's uh-huh. coming. On all levels, we're facing vast, vast changes. I'm talking fast because I took, I took, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Amazon is doing the same thing as JDCom. I mean, I got a call the other day for to get a job, my wife and I. I don't know where they got our number work at Amazon. That might be in New, uh, Newark or wherever, but it was $27. But Amazon already has, it has robotics in its plans, but it has the other thing. It's in, introducing robotics 
in its corporate offices to make precise mm. computers, to make decision-making uh, uh, things, that, that higher level of, of thinking. And, uh, you know, that's stunning. That's, that, that means even at the upper, uh, upper level of administrative jobs, some of them can be eliminated. Uh, we know doctors, some of their the things will be, uh, can be done by robotics. Just about right. every field. So it's not just a blue-collar environment. It's across the entire spectrum. So uh, wages will fall, if I'm right. Um, I want to give you something, too, that um, it's funny because uh, when you read artificial intelligence, you get into these latter stages, you come up a, 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 uh, with a concept called total basic income. Actually, I got called a communist, a left-winging uh, theorist when I put that out. But uh, it's a thing that was presented. Uh, oh God, I just uh, had a senior moment. Uh, conservative economist Milton Friedman. Uh, uh-huh. Go back to the old show with uh, uh, Michael Fox. He was always talking about Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman came up with this theory that eventually would reach a status where we would not be able to pay everybody to. Everybody would not get jobs. A lot of people are going to be uh, down in the economy. So he came up with a thing called total basic income. And around the world, uh, there, are, there are experiments in total uh, basic income. It's basically like a grant. You know, and we've talked about this before, too. Uh, total yeah. basic income is a grant every month or whenever the period uh, for people not to work or if they can't work. And um, uh, I, I said I was called by a communist, but this – this is actually occurring in California in two cities, one of which is Stockton, California, where somebody from um, Microsoft is joining in and to help. And it's, uh, it's occurring in Oakland, where uh, mm-hmm. Kamala, uh, the senator, uh, the senator uh-huh. announced her candidate, she's from. And uh, that's uh, being done with uh, go- governments, uh, uh, you know, viewing that. And then in Canada, there's ter- certain areas where their experience total basic income because things like mining, for instance, take uh, West Virginia. They're not doing the kind of mining that they used to do. I mean, my great grandfather was a miner in Pennsylvania. Uh, uh-huh. They pretty much blow them. They blow the mountains up. That's a different form of uh, mining. Uh, and you know, there are other obviously other resources are coming in. We have the use of other resources uh, for energy besides coal, but. Uh, Total basic income is, is the thing that's being experimented around the world. Uh, Scandinavia is heavily into it. Uh, they see the sort. So I, I think I, I was really angry because, it, you know, people responded. I did an article in the paper and responded. And uh, Milton Friedman is far more to the right than I am. I believe he's <laughs> still alive, you know. And, it, you know, a lot of this goes back to um, – in economics, there was Keynesian economics. Uh, Keynes was an economist uh, that thought you'd prime the pump to create jobs. And then there was Hayek, who was, uh, they were both students at the same time, who led the conservative uh, form of economics. And this uh-huh. follows down. But conservatives see some probably just getting people to have money and spend it keeps the economy moving too. We don't know how many workers are going to lose jobs. That, a, few, well, a few minutes back, I said, it could be 73 or 80 million Americans lose jobs out of the, you know, the 300. That's a, a large amount of workers. And uh, the dawn of climate change has dawned already, and we're in it. 
when is it anticipated that these uh, losses and jobs were going to happen? Because we need to prepare for it. Well, anytime after 2020. And, uh, That's right around the corner. Uh, yes, and somebody it goes full effect 2024. 20, uh, uh, that's one of the rec- uh, things that I've seen. So it is around the corner. What do we do? We, we're going to have to explore some of these situations, uh, hope that many of these jobs still can use humans in some kind of extension. But when you have a warehouse of, uh, that does 200,000 uh uh, you know, uh, mailings or whatever, and only has four people in the factory, uh, you know that that economy is going to change. And that's what's going to, I mean, right now, uh, Amazon does have, where, uh, you know, warehouses around the country. Uh, they typically hire a lot of seniors. They have campgrounds. They set up campgrounds for the seniors. They come in in their busy season and they do the work. But eventually that's going to end. That will become bo- uh, total robotics. Uh, right. I don't know how you know what that means for a society, and then we get uh, further on um, on a worldwide thing. We're going to be impacted greatly because around the corner, uh, China is taking off in so many directions. Right now, China has uh, nine of the uh, of the twenty biggest companies in the world. It's it's China's racing ahead on patents. They're right behind us now with about the last year they had, uh, well, patents filed in 2017. Uh, China had 48,882. The United States had 56,624. China's catching up dramatically on patents. What does that mean? They're going to take a lot of these jobs. Uh, I, I talked to you about the silk in the road thing. You know, to be honest, I never see anything in the papers about the silk in the road program. At all. Nowhere. No, you know, nor do I. Nobody seems to know about it. They're building all over the world. Uh, there's some of these countries actually go bankrupt because China puts fees on them. And what, what I wanted to bring up earlier is that they're building seaports. And in East Asia, they've taken a, a large seaport away from a country and operated as their own. So, you know, we the thing I brought Russia up and Cuba is that Russia is in Venezuela. Both of them are supporting Maduro. But China, with these countries, is building these projects in basically Monroe Doctrine uh, areas. Or that was our sphere of influence in the world. They're ignoring that. So we mm-hmm. have to, you know, we're not a militarist, but we have to wake up. And I think the banter on uh, immigration is totally hurting us in, the, in these countries because uh, there are a lot of exaggerations. I don't want to get into the political things, but uh, somebody that believes in foreign policy, and I belong to the, uh, I belong to the uh, Center for Foreign Relations and the Foreign Policy uh, uh, Association, um, one's conservative, one's liberal. But they look at these uh-huh. issues and they're weakening ourselves and shooting ourselves in the head. Same with NATO. Uh, NATO relies heavily on artificial intelligence because we're outgunned and outmanned. But uh, we can't allow that uh, – you know, that is it worth it to let it go. Um, but anyway, uh, China's mobile market uh, payments, just in everything, China is getting ahead of us. And that could be an issue uh, in, in so many, uh, at so many levels. It could be an issue in commercial. Uh, it could be an issue in space. Because now they have uh, four spaceports. Uh, they have more going on in space. They, they're probably ahead of uh, 
uh, SpaceX, uh, they just lost the plane or, or satellite too. But their R and D spe- uh, spending is catch is four hundred ten four hundred ten billion dollars. That's uh, and they have a wow with the three million people uh, doing R and D in their country. So it's, it has much room to go. The United States R and D spending is four hundred sixty four billion. We have two point nine million. Uh, China is basically, if you follow that direction, China is out is poised to outpace the U.S. in R and D spending. This comes out of uh, again, it comes out of MIT Technology Review, um, which is a respectable but, periodical. I, it really is good. I I I uh, I've got a little gig with Harvard Business Review. Uh, I, I really use it on LinkedIn. Uh, I get allowed. I get some free articles and I post some of this stuff. But this is uh, this is an excellent uh, source. Um, between 1991 and 2016, government funding for research and development grew by a factor of 40 percent. The over the country overtook Japan in spending in R&D in 2009. Uh, the uh, Organization for uh, economic cooperation and development predicts that it will out, uh, China will outspend the United States by 2019 in R&D uh, uh, expenditures. Their electronics, uh, they started out with a modest electronics area in China located on something called Electronic Street. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's the tech giants, Badu, Didi, Chu Chung, I can't even pronounce these. Um, Along and they have research centers for Microsoft, Google, and IBM. It, as I said, China boasts nine of the world's 20 largest companies, included three in the top ten. The, the, the country can claim the world's largest single-dish radio telescope, sell several of the fastest supercomputers, and it plans for more. We rely on uh, Watson, but their supercomputers are big. Remember IBM Watson? It's used heavily for business decisions. Uh, yes. But China are building faster and bigger ones, and uh, that's going to pose a problem. We're falling behind. In other words, what I'm trying to get through to here uh, to your listeners is that we're engaged in a new space race, and we have to win it. Not only are we engaged actually in space, but in all our activities on land, uh, ideal or the highest level of uh, of uh, artificial uh, uh, artificial information, uh, we're falling behind in that. Military-wise, we spend more than five, six countries combined, including China and Russia, but they're making inroads, and uh, we have to really keep keep the pace going, or we're really going to hurt. Uh, right. Uh, globally. Uh, uh, Globally, the average English language paper is cited 11.8 times. These are the scientific papers. Now, for scholars from Chinese institutions, the figure drops to 9.4 times. Wow. We're catching up on, on, on you know, scholarly work, patents, uh, the whole the, the whole gritty. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how we're going to deal with this. Um, you know, uh, we were falling behind on a lot of things, uh, and ev- every letter. I mean, this whole issue uh, is really devoted to Chinese rise. 
And I don't right. know what we're doing. I think the president is arguing the wrong thing. Uh, artificial intelligence will is going to transform the world. And I don't think we don't. It already is. Yeah. People, listeners might hate Bill Clinton, but Bill Clinton at the time was really ahead on a lot of issues. I don't agree with NAFTA so much, but he was like a thinking president. You know, I um, I think Obama was a thinking president. I I, I imagine that uh, FDR was a thinking president because he thought of all the programs that he created was basically to keep his class in existence. People don't realize that, but, you know, Social Security and some of the other programs uh, uh, gave people, you know, incentive to work and, and do other things. But it, we didn't go for, uh, you know, a revolution in this country. I don't know if he was thinking of that, but that's mm-hmm. some of the things that were coming across, Hercules. I, <laughs> what do you think? I think that we need to do something. I'm a, I'm a let's do something kind of person. Uh, even if uh, it's, I think what you're doing is awesome. And I think if we schedule a monthly show where we deal with just this topic, uh, it may not seem like much, but it's a start. And uh, to highlight all the things that you're already doing and that I'm trying to do independently uh, about uh, spreading awareness, um, and then just get guests on to talk about it. I think we can, if nothing else, uh, spread awareness about this issue because it is very important and you, you can't not grow and you can't be distracted by the realities uh, in this world. There, there are certain things that are realities and if we don't react, we're going to be left behind. Uh, and this country does not know what it means to be left behind and it, it'll be a very rude awakening uh, if we get there, uh, especially since we do have the opportunity uh, to do something. You're, you're 100% right. Uh, last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, China did a thing in space, and I misread it, and I posted on Facebook that it was the U.S., and we are in a space race. You remember, uh, yes. when we go back, you remember, I, I guess, the 60s, uh, the early 60s, uh, uh, Sputnik, maybe it was the late 50s with Eisenhower or Kennedy. But Sputnik really shook, uh, you know, shook us up, as well as when Russia got the uh, uh, the atomic and the H bomb. Uh, we felt like they, you know, they were threatening. Those were the Cold War year, years. We're back to another Cold War. Year. I don't want to put everything in militaristic terms, but as a country, we have to be competitive. We need to keep getting those patents. Uh, some people say we hurt ourselves when we cut the HB1 visas. I'm not sure because some of those people go back home, uh, and that's what I think has happened in China. Um, but uh, we have to make full use of all our people. I think the president's uh, uh, immigration policies, I think we need to take it to, to push up African Americans, Hispanics, everybody in this country. Get them in. The DACA kids, for instance, were highly skilled. Many of them had great educations. Uh, we shouldn't have just put them in limbo. And I think right. that's what people don't understand. That we, we, the jobs that people came into this country in the past, many of the, the muscle jobs are going by the wayside. I mean, I remember in, you know, uh, you know the late 70s, 80s, when I was looking at the uh, dictionary. You know this, too. You saw it. The Dictionary of Occupational Titles. Yes. Uh, there were 12,484 jobs in a few years. I'll give you one. A car again, box factory. I went one time to a box factory, and there were about 100 workers. Then in the, about 1980, I went back, 
and uh, they were down to five, six workers, and they were on per shift. One or two were up there, you know, climbing on this big, huge machine, you know, putting the boxes, you know, walking on the boxes so they would go under the treads and everything and be formed into a, you know, a carton. And uh, that cut down uh, heavily. Then Cy Sims. You remember Sims? Uh, uh, Rings a bell. They had a factory, and they put, um, oh, I can't think of the term. They, uh, all the clothes for all the stores would come on conveyor belts uh, in Sea Caucus, and they would be uh, sent, you know, they would be hung, boxed, uh, put on a hanger box, and sent out to uh, Sims stores. I don't know if Sims still has stores. I imagine they do. I, I don't uh, know. But I haven't seen one in a while. I haven't seen their commercials in a long time. I think they sponsored programs on, uh, you know, public TV because I, I watch it. I get a free <laughs> I get I, I get a record or a disc CD from uh, you know like Simon and Garfunkel or something who was on the other just Simon, but we're going uh-huh. through. This is a change. This is, you know, um, we've gone through the post and with in the post industrial society. I mean, it started with uh, Daniel Bell years ago. We were created that term, but we're more and more less muscle power, more and more you know mind. It helps to have a good mind. Uh, be skilled in mathematics. Um, uh-huh. but we can't let everybody, we've got to find ways to push everybody through the system so that they can contribute contribute, and have a decent life. It is only, uh, I, we basically only touched the surface of this. There's so many journal articles and stuff. I, You can hear them. I'm, I'm hi, I probably sign hyper tonight. Well, okay. uh, there's a, there's a- uh, show in the series. We've touched upon this before uh, in our conversations and on various shows, uh, especially the ones we had with uh, Dan, uh, but uh, we have to address this. So th- this will be a monthly show to start and then uh, as we move to the new station, we'll increase it. And uh, uh, I want to highlight all the articles that you're writing and all the things that you're doing, and I will draw more attention to the things that I'm doing. Uh, when recently the um, um, one of our local newspapers wrote an article about my mythology uh, um, role-playing game, which supports STEM in the library. And I, and I get involved with a lot of STEM companies, you know, try to, you know, uh, find out what that's all about. And uh, I've been doing that per- personally. Um, and uh, all, in the article, the reporter mentioned that uh, I incorporated the fact that there were robots and technology and antiqu- antiquity because there were the, the myths have robots. They have a robot that used to patrol uh, the island of Crete called Talos that was able to repel <laughs> invaders. And Hephaestus in his forge had mechanical uh, women assisting him that were robots or described as robots. So uh, during the Hellenistic age uh, also, which is uh, the time between Alexander and Cleopatra and into the Caesars, mm-hmm. uh, um, there were machines like the uh, anti-cathera device which they found several examples of which are as sophisticated as like switch uh, machinery swiss watches um, and all sorts of other references uh, which uh, now are part of the ancient alien type of uh, programs they talk about them but there was technology in antiquity uh, there were flushed toilets, there were mechanical doors, there were coin-dispensed uh, beverages. You know, you, if wow. you study 
antiquity, there, there were those things. They knew these things thousands of years ago. And something happened, and the world was plunged into darkness. And these things survived in stories and in obscure histories until they were actually located. Uh, I would not want that to be our future. They were plunged into a dark age again. And that all the technology well, would become like fairy tales and, and, and legends and things like that. So it, it's a very big uh, uh, thing. And uh, according to um, uh, Socrates and Plato's writings, this uh, falling into darkness has happened to our world many times, where humanity reaches a certain stage of development. Uh, and then all of a sudden there's a catastrophe, whether man-made or natural, that plunges us back you know, uh, into the Stone Age, as we call it now. And uh, that's the challenge ahead of us. We can't allow that to happen. I, I'm worried about that because I, when I hear the uh, discourse in our country, uh, you know, and it's a, a biblical thing that they, uh, uh, people have eyes and they don't see and ears that don't hear. And um, I think that's what I worry about if that comes to fruition. I mean, that's been part of the Christian religion and probably yes. the Judea Christian, you know, religions going back. And we're closer than ever to annihilating ourselves. Um, uh, by nuclear war, you would think you know the clock. The last time I heard that uh, the atomic, what is it? That clock. Oh God! Yes, you know I know the, what you uh, mean. Clock, it's about two minutes. I don't know if it's two minutes or three minutes to two. It had gotten like ten or eleven minutes away uh, uh, to from twelve. I mean, I mean two minutes to twelve actually. That's kind of wow. close. That, you know that we're getting so hostile. You know. Uh, Yesterday, the day before, the Russians flew down our coast uh, and the Canadian coast, and, you know, there was scrambling of Canadian-American airplanes, but it's really close. Uh, climate change, which our country, at least the uh, establishment claims doesn't exist, has created an Arctic lake for the Russian Navy, which makes them in close proximity. And we now have weapons that um, can destroy the world. You know, yes. Uh, and... Uh, and you're right, that could, I don't know if people will survive in that kind of world or if somebody would have more power to stop the others. But, uh, you know, we right now we have a Russian-Chinese uh, tie, uh, which is actually China leading that tie. But we're closer to darkness than, than in a long time. Uh, you know, we're back to basically maybe a Cold War. Uh, you know, it's funny if you watch a TV show on CBS. They have a show called Madam Secretary, and I haven't uh, seen that yet. Some of this, well, the story is almost parallel with what's going on. I think she's going eventually. The character, I, I actually, it's filmed in New York City. My daughter took me to meet the uh, uh, Tina Leone uh, awesome. at the New School, and uh, you know, she, I couldn't believe that it's filmed in New York. But, uh, you know, maybe they should do some scenes, shoot some scenes down in D.C. But, um, you know, uh, fiction parallels what's going on in the world. And, uh, yes, it does. United States, you know, we, 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 we play catch up with the world after the revolution, but we seem to be slowing down. And even other countries, European countries like Germany, uh, you know, which used to be top of the belt, we're losing influence in the world. Germany... Uh, is, is signing deals with China and the car companies are our companies and German companies and uh, 
heck, I think China owns, I think it owns Volvo, and I think it owns um, uh, the British, uh, what was that company? The Rover Company. I think they bought that, and I think they bought Jaguar. I think the only wow. car that's made in Britain is, is the Rolls Royce. Uh, you know, and BMW is making a lot of cars in in China, too. I mean, there's, you know, 1.3 billion people. The only thing is that uh, Indian is ca- India is catching up to China in, uh, uh, in a lot of avenues. So that uh, Bangalore uh, thing remarked we start this uh, and has influence. It is a changing time. And, you know, it's like Kennedy called for a space race. We need a president uh-huh. that's installed, you know, forget all the diversion, uh, call for some, some programs other than weapon systems. Move us ahead. Make sure that these jobs exist. Put money into education. You know, in an inner city, kids will jump to go to a charter school. But make all schools better, you know, uh, so that everybody has a chance. Um, I'm in agreement. Patterson years ago used to send kids to Richfield Park. I don't know if you know where Richfield Park is. Yes. They sent some of their best and brightest to Richfield Park. Uh, sometimes maybe that you have to do that. There was no big busing argument or anything about that because I think that well went probably went into the 90s. But we have to explore new things and and get moving. Uh, I think you're right. It's a start. I hope people, if people will look at that uh, uh, MIT magazine that's out now, the February edition, uh, try to glance through a Harvard Business Review. It's an expensive magazine, but uh, it's, uh, you know. Uh, you'll catch on what's going on in the world. And there are a lot of things going on, and we, we've got to keep up. Now is the yes, time sir. for a call to move. You know, we need a president that steps up, doesn't focus on his base, but focuses on everybody and move them up. We're, we're going nowhere. Have, have you ever felt? I hope I'm, I know I'm turning people off saying this, but doesn't it seem like a sense of hopelessness is being pushed around? Many people, uh, I, many people you know, feel that way. I'm, I, I don't know what we can do, but I don't feel hopeless. I, I'm, I feel uh, that uh, the uh, um, pressure is on to find what to do. So I'm focused a lot on what can I do personally and what is the optimal thing we can do and try to, you know, uh, inspire people uh, to move in that uh, direction. Uh, because we have to do something if we want a world for our children and our grandchildren, uh, if we want a peaceful world, if we want a world with clean air, clean water, uh, clean fuel, clean food, you know, we have to do something. So, I again, I, I, I don't feel that I have the answers, but whatever actions I can take, <laughs> I'm going to take them because uh, we're here now and this is the challenge of our age. So we have to. Uh, need it, or we're going to be buried by history, and uh, we can't allow that to happen. There's a quote about that, but I can't think of it, but uh, you're right. I mean, I I am hopeful, too. I I think that uh, I think a lot of the younger kids are getting it. I just want, you know, everybody to get it. Uh, Yeah, me too. uh, This is major change, and like, uh, you know, I think that the uh, Sputnik woke us up, the hydrogen bomb, when the Russians... Uh, sent that off. Uh, I think that woke us up in that period too. But I think Kennedy laid a challenge, and we kind of moved as a nation for that. Uh, and, and you know, we need somebody to be a cheerleader. 
you know, we need a president that becomes a cheerleader rather than a rabble rouser or, a, you know, we stir up the masses. We've so got to do it or we're going to have that, people. We, we have to be the cheerleaders, Bill. We, we, we're not going to have that right now, uh, a leader who's doing that. So we each have to do it as citizens. We're, we're citizens of this country, and there's great power in being uh, an individual citizen still. So whatever we can do, we have to do it. Well, I'm, I'm, if you want to do this every month, I'd be glad to participate. Fantastic. Oh, and wow. our, time, our time is over for today. Fortunately, we're going to be talking again tomorrow uh, from 10.15 to 11. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you so very much for launching this. Uh, I tell everybody that uh, the, the whole political show came about because you suggested it years ago. When we had a telephone conversation, uh, when I was meeting to New Jersey, you said, hey, maybe we should do like an e-radio show. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, it didn't happen for a few years, but now it's been happening for quite a while. And uh, this, too, we've talked about this for a while. So it's a start. Let's, let's start. And uh, I'm sure along the way, through our guests and through things we read and things we write, we'll, we'll eventually find our way and we can do something more than we're doing now. But the important thing is for everybody to just start. And we've done that tonight, and I thank you for it, Bill. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, um, how can folks reach you uh, between now and tomorrow? Oh, am I on tomorrow's? What, what is tomorrow's? Tomorrow's a okay. political show. Oh, I didn't even know. Uh, I don't have a guest. Uh, well, we can talk about it. It's okay. Uh, we can continue this if you like. If you don't have a guest, we can just continue this conversation tomorrow. It's up to you. Okay, we can do that. We can do that. Uh, they can reach me. Uh, like, if you don't want controversy, go to LinkedIn. Uh, I talk <laughs> about industry and uh, trends on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, and uh, uh, right now I have a role where I, um, I ask to help people uh, buy Harvard Business Review on LinkedIn. Uh, it's just William or Bateman or Bill Waitman. I'm not sure which one I use. Uh, there are. Funny, funny. There are a lot of Bill Waitmans. I didn't know that. Um, I'm also on Facebook, as you know. Uh, yes. I'm on. Um, they have my email if they want to. It's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on Instagram too, but I don't. Know. I haven't used it in a long time. It's Bill Waitman for Freeholder at uh, uh, gmail.com. I'm going to change that shortly if I run for office. Uh, I'm well, in Wayne tonight. My daughter wants me to run for council here, uh, but I well, wanted to run for. Assembly up there. Um, uh, you know, the, the difference is I have a lot of people in Wayne that would work for me. <laughs> and virtually the Democratic Party doesn't do much to, to win elections. But uh, anything, uh, email, uh, use the old email for now, LinkedIn. Uh, 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 what's, it, uh, what's the other one I have? Um, um, oh, well, t- 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 what, 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 I'm having a brain meltdown. What, don't, uh, don't worry about you. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter, yes. Billy, Billy Way, W-E-I-G, uh, at Twitter, you know, twitter.com. Thank you, Bill. Uh, we have to close because they're going to cut us in a few seconds. To be continued tomorrow. Okay, take care. Okay, thanks for everybody joining us tonight. This is the start of a brand new adventure, one that is very needed.
for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Thank you.